Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the cross church. Well, I'm Pastor Jacob, and I am excited to be able to conclude our Acts sermon series with you today. We've had an incredible journey through the book of Acts, and uh, we are coming to a close today. We're going to finish off the final two chapters of Acts. Uh, before we get started, though, a couple little things I need to remind everybody of. Next Sunday, we have our congregational meeting that is going to be happening right here in this space. It's next Sunday, November 7th. It'll be right after our 11 o'clock service. Uh, so about 12.15 right here. Uh, I have the privilege of going over the 2022 budget with all of you. So if you're interested about where next year's money is going, then come on back next Sunday and stick around. I'm way more excited to preach the word today than to talk about that, though. But we also have a couple things to vote on. We have some updates from Pastor Mark, and we'll have some new board members to introduce to all of you. And so if you are able, please join us next Sunday for that. And then next thing, I just want to personally and collectively thank Sydney Kurtz for everything she did for Trunk or Tree last night. She organized the event. She was the leader of it. She had everything going. She had every staff member's task list ready for them yesterday. We knew what we were doing. She made sure that the event went off without a hitch, and it was an incredible evening, and her leadership uh, really made that possible. So a huge thank you to her. A huge thank you again to everyone who served. If you did a trunk, if you were one of our greeters, uh, everything you did. And I'm just overwhelmed by what we had over 30 youth show up and serve all night long. So let's give it up for that. That is an incredible blessing to have young people in this church. They showed up at four o'clock and they did not leave until everything was cleaned up and done last night. And so amazing job uh, from Pastor Mark and Cameron and Amanda. They are leading that group and helping those young people see that the joy of the Lord comes in serving in events like that. So just a huge opportunity and huge moment for our church last night to bless over a thousand people in this community with uh, a lot of candy, some bounce houses, some face paint, and a lot of fun. So thank you to everyone who is a part of that. With that, let's dive in. We are going to be talking through our final two chapters of the book of Acts. It has been an incredible journey uh, if we think of the book of Acts like an epic tale or a movie, we have had tons of ups and downs. We have had lots of conflict. We've had a few resolutions, and we've got this hero who is on a quest, who is on a journey. Uh, we have been with him since chapter 9 of the book of Acts. His name is Paul, and in chapter 9 of Acts, we saw Jesus come to him in miraculous fashion and call upon Paul to be changed from a persecutor of God's church to a leader, a missionary, and a church planter for God's church. And this transformation has been epic, to say the least. But the real hero of the story is not Paul. The hero of the book of Acts and the hero of our story, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so today, as we look at the conclusion, as we look at the final destination for the Apostle Paul, we jump back to Jesus' words at the very beginning of this epic book of the Bible. In Acts 1 verse 8, he told the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
And the beautiful thing about that understanding is that we know it went to Paul. We know that he had that same mission because he quoted Isaiah in Acts 13, 47, and he said that he too was called to preach to the ends of the earth. Well, here we are. We've got two chapters left, and the question is, will Paul make it to the ends of the earth? And so let's look at Acts 27, verse 1 for that answer. Remember, Paul has been arrested. He has been uh, confined for multiple years. He has bounced back and forth between governors and magistrates, and nobody knows what to do with this guy. And so he has appealed to Caesar. He wants to get to Rome. And Acts 27.1 says this, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And I'll focus in on that first phrase. When it was decided we should set sail for Italy. This is not Paul just going to his next trial. This is Paul going to Rome And for all intents and purposes, Rome is the ends of the earth. Rome is the final destination of the book of Acts. This is where Paul has been heading now for months and years, and he can see it happening. He is going to reach Rome. And if he can reach Rome, if he can get to Caesar, if he can impact the cultural center of the world at that time, then he has reached the ends of the earth. And so it's a pretty short journey. If you were to fly from Jerusalem to Rome, you could do that tomorrow for $44. I looked it up this morning. $44, three hours and 40 minutes will get you from Jerusalem to Rome. That is quite a deal. That is a pretty short flight in comparison to some. It doesn't sound like it's going to be too difficult. Let's uh, take a look at the map and see what Paul has in store. So he's not in Jerusalem. He's in Caesarea, which you can see there. It is just a little bit north of Jerusalem. He has to make it to Rome at the top left of the screen. And if there were air travel at the time, he could have done it for 44 bucks and just under four hours. That's not how it went for Paul. They had to get on a boat. They had to get on multiple boats, in fact. And it wasn't going to take the couple weeks that it normally would because of the time of the year, because of some weather issues, because of a shipwreck, because of all of these things. It would take them about four months to do what we can now do in four hours. But he's on his final destination He has the end game in mind, and he has his sights fixed on Rome. And so they get on this boat. He is still a prisoner. He has appealed to Caesar. He is still in custody. And so they're on their way for about a two-week journey by boat. But that two weeks turns into quite a bit more as they face all sorts of issues. They run into a crazy storm at sea. The book of Acts says, a tempestuous wind came upon them. We don't use that word very often, but we've had them in Florida. We've experienced some tempestuous winds, haven't we? And we're not sitting in a little boat most of the time when those tempestuous winds come upon us. They called that wind the Northeaster, and it struck down from the land upon their ship. And for two weeks, they were battling this storm. 14 days straight, they were ravaged by wind and waves, and it says they didn't see the sun for two weeks straight as they were trying 
to move along on their journey as they were trying to get to Rome. And at the end of two weeks, they started making some decisions. They started throwing the cargo overboard, the grain, the tackle, the crates of goods. They decided that would be a good thing to do to hopefully help lighten the load and get them through this storm. They held on to a little bit of the food, but the reality is none of them had actually eaten for two weeks. So they start jettisoning the cargo. They start throwing it out. And they get to a point where some of the sailors decide, we're out of here. They just want to get off the boat. And so they actually tell the captain and they tell the centurion and the guards, yeah, we're going to lower the anchors. We're actually just going to lower the anchors and see if we can stay put for a bit. And in reality, they were lowering the rescue boat. They were going to make a run for it. This was a mutiny. They were going against the captain's orders. And Paul said, no, you can't do that. Paul had had a vision from an angel of the Lord who told them, all of you will be spared. All of you will be saved. You will not perish, but all of you need to stay on the boat for that to happen. And so it says, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors. But Paul said to the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. So the soldiers cut away the ropes and let the rescue boats go out to sea. So now they're in it. Now they are in this thing. There are no lifeboats. There is no way off this ship. They haven't eaten for two weeks. The mutiny has been squashed. And now here they are. They haven't thought about anything but getting off this boat for two weeks. And so what do they decide to do? They decide to eat. Isn't that always just a good idea? Man, when the storms of life are raging, what should we do? Let's eat. And so Paul says this in verse 33 and following. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. Guys, we need to eat. We need to get our our heads straight. We need some energy. He said, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, taking nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, listen to this, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? Communion. What are we going to do in a minute? Communion. That's right. So they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. We love this metaphor of the storm when it comes to the Christian life. And I, for one, think it's overplayed at times in worship and in sermon illustrations. But when it's coming straight out of the book of Acts, I can't avoid it. I can't pretend it's not here. I can't pretend that they didn't face this storm. And the reality is, is that right now it's beautiful outside. There's a cool breeze and it's not raining and there are no physical storms in our lives. But we've all been through those metaphorical storms, haven't we? I mean, the last 19 months of life on planet Earth has been a continual storm for some of us. We want to just go, oh, because of COVID, because of COVID, COVID made everything so different. COVID changed life, and it did. COVID changed a lot of things. COVID meant that we were in lockdowns, and we're wearing masks, and we're getting vaccines, and we are changing the way we do almost everything. But what COVID forgot was that life kept happening. And for some of us, the COVID storm didn't compare 
to some of the other storms that we've been going through over the last two years. I told you a lot of my story the last time I got to preach up here a few weeks ago, and a big piece of my purpose in life is to be a father. And I am blessed to have my two sons and a third on the way, but it has been full of storms along the way, and 2020 was no exception to that. My wife, Amanda, experienced two miscarriages in 2020. And in the midst of those devastating moments, we didn't care about COVID. COVID was not on our mind or our heart. Our purpose as parents was on our heart and mind. The devastating loss of our unborn children was on our heart and mind. And to us, that was the storm of 2020. And if I were to sit down with any of you, you had your storms, you've been through it, you've seen loss and pain and diagnoses and devastation, and you're not alone in that. And God knows that. And the beautiful thing is, is that just like these sailors and these soldiers and Paul himself says, God, God says, I want to give you strength. I want to give you healing. I don't want a hair on your head to perish. And so for them, they took some bread and they ate it, a physical meal. And we're going to do the same right now. And so you can go ahead and get out your communion elements. There's a little film on the top to get the wafer out and then foil below for the grape juice. And we will partake in just a moment all together. But before we do, I want you to think about the storms of life. I want you to think about what it's been like. For these people on the boat, it was 14 days. Maybe it's been 14 months. Maybe it's been 14 years. Maybe it's been much longer that the storms have been raging in your life. I want this opportunity today to take and eat Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins to help you see that God is with you even in the storm. Paul took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it to everyone on the boat to eat. I know when Luke wrote this, he was echoing back to what Jesus did at the Last Supper and reminding us that we can take heart, that we can be strengthened by receiving the true body and blood of Jesus Christ this very morning. For it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and having given thanks to his Father in heaven, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for each and every one of you. Church, I invite you now with me to take and eat the body of Christ. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and having given thanks, he gave it to all of them and said, take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for each and every one of you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. We have been forgiven. We have been set free. We have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And this is a holy moment. As you look around the room, that's why we call it communion because together we are strengthened by the gospel. Together we can weather the storms and together we can see that our life still has purpose, still has mission, still has an end in mind where Jesus is the hero of our stories. And so we continue. They shared a meal. 
and they still didn't get there after that. They took some bread, they got some strength, they threw the rest of the things off the boat, and then a shipwreck. They ran into a reef, and the back of the boat started getting torn apart by the waves, and they didn't land on the peninsula of Italy. They landed on a tiny little island called Malta. Not where they were headed. Not what they had in mind. But God knew. And anyone who could swim made it to shore. Anyone who couldn't grabbed one of those planks of wood wood off of the ship and drifted to shore and not a single one of them, Paul, a prisoner, a soldier, or a sailor, perished. Luke says 276 people were on that boat, including the author Luke himself, and they all survived this shipwreck. And they land in Malta, and there's another storm raging, and this one is cold. It's one of those cold rains, and they are desperate for fire, and the people of Malta find them, and they build a bonfire for them, and they say, come on, take some warmth. We are going to take care of you. And Paul's gathering wood for the fire, and man, this guy cannot catch a break as he reaches into a bundle of firewood. A viper latches onto the dude's hand. I mean, you made it to land, you're, you're so close, you're two islands away from Italy, and now you've got a poisonous viper clinging to your hand. And so now the people of Malta say, well, this dude must have been a murderer. That's what's going on here. This is a bad dude. But he didn't swell up. He didn't drop dead. Acts tells us he shook the viper off into the fire and he was fine. So then the people of Malta said, well, okay, then he must be a god. And we know how Paul feels about being called a god. He does not like that. And so he responds in this amazing way. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them they're wrong. He finds the leader of the town and he heals the leader's father. He heals him of his sickness, of his illness. He had dysentery and he was most likely going to die. Paul visited with him, prayed over him and healed him. And then it says everybody in Malta heard about it and they all came with their various diseases and were healed. And the people of Malta were converted and there was revival in a tiny little island that had no idea who Jesus Christ was and now is a community alive because of the gospel, because of a shipwreck, because of a storm that took them off course. But with God, it was never off course. God put them exactly where he wanted them. And the beautiful thing about our God is that when detours come into our life, it is often for the sake of the deliverance of others. And that's exactly what happened in Malta. These people were saved from their physical illnesses, but more importantly, they were saved from the wages of sin. They were saved from death and they were given the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ because of a shipwreck that left Paul and 275 others on their shores. We can do the same thing. We can use what God takes as detours for others' deliverance. We can take loss and throw it in the enemy's face and make it a win. My wife and I never would have chosen to go through two miscarriages last year. We never would choose that for anybody. But the reality is, is that God was preparing us to bless others, to help others through similar processes. And just this last summer, a few months ago, some close friends of ours lost their baby in their 39th week. And I don't, 
I'm still not ready to even share that out loud, but God knew that we needed to be their friends. I needed to be their pastor. I needed to bring my pain into their lives and help them know that they weren't alone. And I would never wish that on anybody. I would never hope that that would ever happen to someone ever again, but God's able to use the pain for a purpose bigger than us. And so when we sing those songs about the goodness of God, we have to trust him even in moments like that. Even in moments where we can never ask why until we see it, until he sees us through and he shows us that his healing comes, that his healing can lead to revival and that his detours often lead to deliverance. And so three months they stayed in Malta and a four-hour flight has now become a four-month trip and he finally makes it. The people of Malta give them a new ship. They load them up with supplies. They bless them on their journey. Paul is still a prisoner at this point though, but now he finally arrives in Rome. He has made it. And the beautiful thing about Paul's journey is that he takes things that are broken and he uses God to redeem them. I told you about this a couple weeks ago. God makes something beautiful, right? What do we do? We reject it. What does God do in response? He redeems it. He restores it. And throughout this epic tale of the book of Acts, we have seen Paul following this same pattern. Paul would enter a town and the first thing he would do was follow God's will for the people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and he would go to their synagogue, go to those Jewish people, and he would preach the gospel to them. Those were God's chosen people. We see it throughout the Old Testament. God has special favor on these people. And so that is where Paul started. And he didn't do it any differently in Rome. He went to the Jewish people of Rome to preach the gospel. But just like we reject God's beautiful things, so many of God's chosen people, so many of the Jewish people would not believe it and they rejected it. And so God, in his beautiful wisdom, redeemed the story and opened the door to all people, to the Gentiles, to all nations. And he makes things whole through Paul in that way. Let me read for you Acts 28. We're getting to the end of the book of Acts here. And I'm going to start in verse 23 and following. When they, that is the Jewish people, had appointed a day for him, they came to Paul at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So there's number one, God does something beautiful. He said, go to my people and preach to them. Jesus did the same thing. Peter did the same thing. God loves his people. And Paul would never forget that. Continuing in verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said. There is a remnant. There are Jewish people who love Jesus, and that is a wonderful, beautiful thing. God has not forgotten those people. But the second half of the verse said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed. After Paul had made this statement, 
The Holy Spirit was right in saying your father, to your fathers through the Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but you will never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Can't you sense God's broken heart for his people in these verses? These are verses from Isaiah. Isaiah, this was Isaiah's commissioning. Isaiah the prophet was told, you're going to preach and no one's going to listen. Go do it. Mark, Chris, I don't think that's the commissioning we want. We would hate to hear that. Get up here and preach, but no one's going to listen. Speak the word and they're all going to reject it. That was Isaiah's message. And unfortunately, that was Paul's message. People reject God's beautiful things. But step three of the process, verse 28, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. They will listen. God has never been opposed to people outside of the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people coming into his presence, coming into the faith. We see it throughout the Old Testament. He said, welcome the foreigner, welcome the alien, welcome the sojourner. There's never been a rejection of the Jewish, of the Gentile people, but now the floodgates are open. Now God has said, Paul, it is time to release this message to the world, to the ends of the earth. And it can happen now as you sit in house arrest in the greatest city of the world at the time, the center of culture, the center of the empire. From here, this thing can take off. People can know about Jesus. It's no longer these small towns around Asia Minor. It's no longer something that can be squashed with a, a couple soldiers. This thing is going to take off. And how do I know it has? Because we're here, aren't we? Because we've made it. Because the message of the gospel has not stopped for 2,021 years. Here we stand. Here we sit today, welcoming Jesus into our presence. Here's the end of the book. Here's the final two verses of the epic tale of the book of Acts. It says, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I'll be honest, when I read that for the first time, I go, what, that's it? The story's over? That's where, that's where Acts ends? Did we miss a chapter, Luke? What are you doing here, buddy? Very anticlimactic, but as you dive in to some of these specific phrases, Paul, for two years, was able to preach with boldness and without hindrance the message of Jesus Christ. And again, where is he? He is in Rome, which I would say is the ends of the earth. And so I don't think Acts ends in an ambiguous fashion. I don't think it just stops because Luke ran out of ink. I think it's mission accomplished. It has happened. Acts 1.8 has come to pass. Jerusalem, check. Judea, check. Samaria, check. And the ends of the earth, check. The gospel has made it. And Paul's mission was accomplished and that's why he can write the words, I have been poured out like a drink offering. As he writes these prison letters, 
like Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. He says, I have run the race. I have finished the race. I have given everything for the gospel. Mission accomplished. But again, Paul's not the hero of the story. Jesus Christ is the hero of the story. And it was from the cross as he gave his final breath that Jesus himself uttered a similar victory cry. We know it as, it is finished. In the Greek, the word is tetelestai, and I think a better translation is mission accomplished. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was not surrendering, he wasn't laying down, he wasn't rolling over, he was saying, it is a victorious ending to this story. Mission accomplished, the debt is paid in full. And then he gave up his spirit. And when Jesus did that, he secured a place for you and me with him in eternity forever. When Jesus did that, he opened the door to say, you're gonna receive power, you're gonna receive my spirit, and it's gonna go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And Paul, you're gonna make that happen. Peter, you're gonna make that happen. All the apostles, you're gonna make that happen. And their mission is accomplished but we've still got work to do. It is not time for us to cry out mission accomplished because we are called to be a people on mission. We're still being poured out as a drink offering. We're still called to serve God's church. We are still called to continue the legacy of what God gave us in this incredible book of the Bible. And so we see it in Jesus Christ, a victory cry from the cross. And we know his story wasn't done there. It is finished was actually the beginning because three days later, we know Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. And he commissioned people like Paul. And 1,500 years later, he commissioned a man named Martin Luther, who in 1517, on this day, October 31st, nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg door because he said, no, the gospel is alive. And the mission is not that we live under the law, that we live under regulation, but that we live knowing that we are made righteous by faith. And he opened the door for us to be here as well. And his mission was accomplished. He started the Protestant Reformation. And so, yes, yeah, some of you today are going to go home and celebrate Halloween and take your kids out for candy, and that is incredible, and have a blast. But also remember, today is our Reformation Day. Martin Luther can stand with Paul in the glories of heaven and declare mission accomplished. And so first and foremost to you today, if you don't know what your mission is, if you don't know Jesus as this Savior that's what today is about. Today is the chance to say, I want to be on that mission. I'm sick of being tossed around by the storms of life. I feel like I'm about to be shipwrecked. I have nothing left. Jesus is the answer. We took communion today to receive that forgiveness that can be for you. Whether you're here in this space or watching us online right now, Jesus is for you. And his spirit is powerful. It is still moving. It is still active. And 2,000 years later, Jesus says, join me on the mission. 
And so that's why we are up here every week proclaiming the same kingdom of God, proclaiming the same Jesus who died and rose again so that we can say yes to his mission. And for those of us who do know him, let's go. Let us not declare the mission is over. We had a thousand people in our parking lot last night. I want a thousand people in the building on Sunday. The mission isn't over yet. And so we have a mission as a church to preach, to teach, and to heal. That is our vision at the cross, and we do it all under the magnification of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what is your personal mission? What is your part in that? Whether it's here in this church, in the community, with your family, you name it, it is our prayer to help you in that. You are on mission for Jesus Christ. You said yes to him, and you have the glories of heaven, and you've been guaranteed a spot there for all eternity. That's awesome. But now what? Join us on mission. Join us in the kingdom of heaven because it's here. Jesus said it is near and it is at hand and it is all around us. And so pray about that today. My challenge to you is simply to go home and pray about it. Pray about your mission. I'll be praying about mine. So then when we all come to the end, we can declare, just as Jesus did from the cross, mission accomplished. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for the book of Acts. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowered such important and powerful men and women by your incredible spirit to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to Rome, to the ends of the earth, knowing that the gospel would not be stopped. And here we are today in Mount Dora, Florida, because the gospel has made it even here to this place. And so we say yes to you, Jesus, today. We say yes, that you died for us, that you washed away our sins, that you accomplished your mission on the cross to take away the debt that we owe you because of our sin. And we received that forgiveness again this morning through communion, and we thank and praise you for that. We thank you for the promise of heaven. We thank you for the hope of our resurrection that was given to us because you, God, raised your son, Jesus, from the dead. But it's not over there. So God, I pray for each and every one of us in this place to think through our personal life mission, to preach, to teach, to heal, to love, to serve, to declare the kingdom of God, to reach a family member, to reach a neighbor, to love somebody in need, whatever it is, give us a clear understanding of that mission for our life. And help us go here today with that same understanding from the song we sung earlier. We will surrender it all to you because all of our life, you have been faithful. You are good. And so we want to give you everything on mission with you, Jesus. Thank you so much for this epic tale of faith. Thank you, Jesus, for being the hero of the book of Acts. And thank you for being the hero of our story. We love you. Bless us as we go from here now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace as you go from here on mission for the church of Jesus. Amen. Go and serve the Lord this week, church. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.